The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we're loving on, and what we're hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, law and order in the time of a pandemic, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and rebellion. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays. But we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. It's all right. It's all right now. I look right in your house, 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 you get so neat. This week, we took our little pod that could on the road. And I have to say, it was the first time in more than four months that I've been on an airplane. So... If you're getting this podcast a little bit later than you usually did, just know that Lady Don't Take No was all over the place doing nothing but good things, but also bringing you some news you can use. Now, I should rename this pod, Oakland is the Center of the Known Universe, because I'm welcoming yet another phenomenal Oaklander, by way of Brooklyn, to the show this week. They are an activist, a writer, and a public speaker on the issues of digital rights, narrative power, Black liberation, and collective grief. They are a senior fellow at Media Justice, and they are the organization's founding executive director. I want to introduce you to my longtime homie. Welcome, 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 Malkia Devich Cyril. Welcome, Malkia. Thanks for having me. Glad to oh, be here. I'm so glad you're here. What it do, what it do, what it do. <laughs> so tell me, Mac, what has your quarantine life been like? I've been asking everybody, have you developed any unique habits live and direct for Miss Rona? I mean, let's see. So first of all, like everybody else, I've been incredibly isolated. And that's been difficult. It's been really hard. Um, you know, human nature calls out to other humans. But, you know, in the in the course of that isolation, I have tried to teach myself how to cook because uh, I do not cook, you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> I had to learn how to boil some rice, you know, how to boil an egg, you know, the basics, you know what I mean? 
Now, Malkia, hold on a minute. No, hold on a minute because um, if you was at the basics, then these plates I'd be seeing on Facebook mean that you took an AP course. I did. Your food be looking delicious. No, you know what? I have people get on on Zoom with me and go (laughs) step by step. Matter of fact, one brother actually cooked the dish with me. Like oh. he made the dish and I made the dish. That was my chicken adobo. Oh, and that, that came out delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm just trying to teach myself how to be self-sustaining. Tried gardening. That didn't work out, but it's cool. You know, <laughs> I will try and try garden? again. What I don't really know. I feel like I didn't water them enough or I, I don't, I don't, you know, you got to nurture your, yeah. your plants and stuff. Yeah. And I just was, trying to focus on my health. So I didn't, I don't know. The plants are literally on my back deck. Like they're nowhere. I don't have to go anywhere to take care of them. So I don't really know what happened. But suffice to say, they are not alive. So, you know, we're going to keep going. Well, you know, we had Mia Birdsong on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and she made me feel a lot better about my pandemic gardening, which is basically just saying, like, it's all an experiment. Sometimes shit grows and sometimes it don't. And it may not actually be your fault. It may just be what the hell is going on. (laughs) I appreciate that optimism, but let's be clear. It was Mia Birdsong who planted those plants for me on my deck. But this is why I offered this is and because yet, and yet they still I did not do the very she made videos for me. Okay. Oh, okay. I so did you not, passing yourself out. I was you know, trying to throw I'm just you trying a, to cause I'm trying to keep it real. <laughs> I was trying to throw I'm trying you to some, keep it real. Everybody know me. <laughs> No, I am the one to keep it 100, okay? I know, that's true. That's true. So, I was trying to throw you a lifesaver. Thank you. I really was. I appreciate it. I want to know, you know, are you developing any... Okay, so people have been checking me about this guilty pleasure thing because they're like, no pleasure is guilty. And I'm like, okay, girl, but honestly, eating chicken wings every day is actually my guilty pleasure. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to be proactive and reframe this question and say, are there any pleasures that you have developed during Miss Rona that have surprised you? You know, I'll be honest, it's been uh, really actually difficult to engage in pleasure activities. You know, like the most, I would say what what's most surprising is that I took the risk and got some kittens. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and, and what are their names? Oh, uh, so one is Luna uh-huh. and the other one is Catrick Baldwin Swayze. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because my wife who who passed away, she loved the moon. And also she loved Patrick Swayze. She loved Dirty Dancing. Mm -hmm. Patrick Swayze in particular. So I had to like honor her with those names. But there, that's my, I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, but it surprised me that I would be willing to, you know, bring another life into my home. I love that you did. Yeah, it's fun. And they Wiley. And they Wiley. They crazy. (laughs) They straight. They are. are. I like that you put it nicely and say Wiley, you know, (laughs) make it sound like they're really intelligent. I don't know know? how smart they are, but they're definitely, definitely taking me to another level. Fair enough. Fair Mm. enough. So for folks who are listening, you can hear me giggling. And this is often what Malkia does. So just a few words on Mac. Mac is one of my like nearest and dearest friends, my stud-in-law, as they say. And we go 
way back to the media justice days. Mac is a brilliant messenger, a brilliant media and cultural strategist. But before all that, Malkia, you were a Panther Cub, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came up? And in other words, were you just born brilliant or did you have some help along the way or <laughs> both? Like what what's going on here? Well, I don't I don't know that I'm brilliant or anything like that, you but I will say brilliant. that well, I appreciate that. You know, I say this, my my mother um who raised me as a single parent, me and my sister, um you know, she was a black panther, my father who I did not know was in the Black Liberation Army and my first book, my first gift for example, when I was born was Miles Little Red Book. You know, mm. my uncle gave it to me. Um you know, I grew up with, you know, another uncle, uh, Kamal Siddiqui, um, a.k.a. Fred Hilton, who's currently serving a life sentence in a Georgia prison, who living, you know, on the third floor of my house, my mom's brownstone. Mm. You know, so I was surrounded. You know, I went to I went to meetings as a child uh, with my mother at the home of Yuri Kochiyama, her apartment in Harlem. Mm. I spent most of my time surrounded by people that now, you know, young activists consider, you know, these iconic legends and and whatnot. And to me, they're aunties, they uncles, they're people that I love and care about and who love and care about me. You know, I went to a Black Liberation School as a child, you know. I went to protests. Those are my first memories. You know, mm-hmm. my first memory, one of my first memories is sitting on my mother's shoulders at a um, at a rally for the Haitian brothers and sisters that were being turned away by the Coast Guard um, in, in New York. And, you know, after that rally, I went home and I wrote a poem. I didn't write it, though. I said it. I was only four. So I said it to my mother, and she wrote it down for me, and I still have it. You know, she framed it, and, and I still have it. And that's kind of what my childhood was like, you know? story mm. about you on Sally Jesse Raphael. Oh. <laughs> which I just feel like we need to bring into okay. the mix because also I miss her. I miss her. That show was legit. And I love the show. idea of young Mac on the show schooling people about all the things. <laughs> so can you just tell the listeners what was you on Sally Jesse talking about? Well, you know, so I came out as queer when I was 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time I turned about 13, you know, my mom had got over her, whatever feelings she was having about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she I remember her crying. And I was like, why are you crying? Like, I just was like, this is homophobic. You know, I was really in my feelings. And my mom was like, it's not, I'm not feeling homophobia. She's like, I'm feeling fear. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I understand how to help you as a black woman because I'm a black woman. I'm, I'm, you know, I understand how to help you from that lens of heterosexuality, but I don't understand how to help you through this lens, you know, through, I don't know anything about being gay and, you know, which actually was a lie because my mom had plenty of gay friends, but whatever, we'll give her that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she decided to join the board of the Hetrick Martin Institute and part of her joining the board, she decided that that meant that she needed to go on tour 
speaking on different talk shows about, you know, having a, a queer, you know, daughter. And she decided that I should go on there with her. And I was like, I'm 13. Mm-hmm. I came out to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm really not trying to come out like to the entire city or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> And she told me, you know, you think this is about you, but it's not. You know, this is about making sure that all these other parents of color and children of color have a reference point for their own uh, liberation and understanding of themselves. So from that, you know, we went on Sally Jesse Raphael. We went on, um, what is it, Montel, uh, Montel Williams. We went oh my on. Um, God, I love Donahue. Williams. <laughs> we his ball head. We she went on Oprah by herself, and she called us on the phone. Um, at, I was at college at the time. This was like my first year uh, of college. I was seventeen, and she spoke to my friend, and she said, "You know, oh." you know what? Y'all just go ahead and be as gay as you want to be. Uh-uh. I got picked up in a limousine. Uh, there's a phone. She's like, I'm calling you from the bathroom right now. Hey, I, can't. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> That's just amazing. You mentioned something just now about being in control of our own stories. And for those folks who are listening, you know, Mac was one of the first people to ever train me in being able to communicate effectively, but also introduced me to this concept of media justice. So I think our listeners would really benefit, especially in this moment, from hearing more about what is media justice and why does it matter, especially today? So media justice is the struggle for uh, narrative power to control our own stories, but not just from the front end, uh, you know, in terms of communication strategy, but also from the back end in terms of communications infrastructure and policy. We know that controlling our stories, but you know, as Black people, but also as oppressed people in general, requires both a front end and a back end strategy. It requires that we deal with the words, right? It requires that we deal with the frames and the and the culture that's being developed not only through the language, but also through the policies and through other kind of um, things that architect our relations of power. But also, it's constructed through the media technology rules and the media technology infrastructure that we either have access to or do not have access to that allow us and help us to speak freely or deny us the opportunity to speak freely. Those are just as important as those front-end communication strategies. And that's what media justice is. It's really tying those three things together, the front-end narrative strategy, the policy fight, and the fight for infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So why do you think or do you think that media justice is a relevant topic for today? I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which People might say that we control our own stories, maybe from the front end even, because we have, well, (laughs) you know, I'm being provocative, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. one might say, right, that technology is the great equalizer and that social media, for example, has actually allowed us to create our own stories. I would argue differently. I would say that maybe social media has let us create our own avatars, but even that is not true because we are creating it, but it's also being created for us. So Without getting into all the conspiracy theory around it, I would love for you to just kind of talk about what 
does media justice mean in this political moment of misinformation and disinformation, algorithms, all the stuff? All the stuff. Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, there there is a trend of thought that suggests that technology is a great equalizer. And the truth is, maybe it could have been, you know, in another society that was not characterized by white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and other other forms of inequality. But in this society, in this day, in this age, technology conforms to the rules of power. And the, the fact is that whoever controls, you know, George Clinton said it best, whoever controls the means of the story controls the story. And right now, you know, technology companies, just like um, news outlets, you know, uh, we're talking about upwards of 80 to 90 percent white. You know, we're talking about upwards of 80 to 90 percent male in terms of who's in terms of ownership, you know. And so um, so ownership matters in this day and age. Facebook, you know, Twitter, uh, these social media companies, which have become not only arbiters of voice, but also they stand in between us and, and democracy. They stand to they pose a real threat to our elections. Mm. Um, these social media companies partner with the police to surveil and monitor, you know, these, you know, so just even in terms of social media, we're just taking just that one piece of this very large equation that you've just laid out, right? This one piece, we can see that the owners of these outlets, first of all, they're becoming billionaires. Their their profits are uh, soaring during the greatest economic crisis we've seen in 100 years. So just knowing that, that controlling our voice, controlling our relationship to communication, that is making some people very, very rich. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's suppressing both not only the economic opportunity, but also the political opportunity for everybody else. I, since knowing you, have become obsessed with all things messaging. And where I'm obsessed, and I feel like there's just not a lot of juice right now, is what we do with these messages of law and order during a time of rebellion. And especially law and order that is so deeply coupled with white nationalism and white supremacy and, like, conspiracy theory and all of that. I'm like... How are you going to have law and order on the QAnon people? Because they wildin' right now. <laughs> okay, so just to bring it back, though, I mean, we saw this last week with Joe Biden, who really doubled down on these messages of law and order. And he was talking about, you know, protesting is not rioting and looting, and we should prosecute anybody who's rioting and looting. And he's saying all this and spending $45 million on ads to this effect. At the same time that Trump and the Department of Homeland Security is threatening to investigate and round up activists and protesters. Meanwhile, folks on the left even are like deeply invested in this narrative around nonviolence as a response to a frame that is not ours. (laughs) So you were one of the first people, as I said earlier, to teach me about how to effectively communicate inside of that level of triangulation. And so I guess what I'm asking you here is, what are your thoughts about how we're orienting activists and legislators right now who think they're doing the right thing by decrying violence, but they're actually walking into a trap not of their own making? All right. 
Well, let me see if I can take it piece by piece here. Um, number one, I think that messages of safety and danger have always been the heart of election messaging. You know, that our bodies are wired toward fear. You know, we're wired to respond to danger. And um, it makes fear-based messaging effective to some degree, you know, Mm -hmm. very effective Mm -hmm. to some degree. It's why the right uses this kind of messaging regularly. Um, The thing about it, though, is that fear-based messaging, I believe, you know, works more in the short term and doesn't touch into people's deep desires for what they want long term. So, So I think that's the first thing is understanding. I think we need to dig in to our understanding both academically and politically of what we can offer in terms of a vision of safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think also that, you know, that for those interested in peace and justice, that we have to be able to articulate not only in language, but also in all the other things that form narrative, right? Image and 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 rhetoric and, and all these other pieces, that our long-term safety depends on our ability to resist now that that the resistance that's happening now is a is a part of an equation for safety in the future right so this is the thing right now what's being said is these rebellions um they're breaking the law they're creating unsafe conditions and they should be prosecuted for that, right? That's the the current messaging. And both sides, uh, we already know. We've known, <laughs> we've known from right. the gate that both sides are using black bodies, brown bodies, you know, as the fodder for um, their strategy, right? There, there. Th- that's that's just been the case from from day one. But I think that what if we can remember that we are, that this chaos, if we can articulate who created the chaos, number one, put the responsibility where it belongs. If we can tap into uh, the, the what, what we believe is needed for long-term safety, for peace in the future, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that unrest today is for the promise of peace in the future, you know? These are some of the ways I think we can begin to turn the messaging on its head. But I would I would say that there's another issue here. The other issue here is, you know, rebellions are not reactions. And reactions that are not translated into organized rebellion, they can become reactionary. Mm-hmm. They can divorce from what right that that is a fringe, you know, when we talk about armed struggle and you think about any place in the in the world that has has had to use armed struggle to gain um, peace, justice, <laughs> equity, whatever, we know that the armed part of that is a fringe strategy. You know, our armed struggle has never been, it's it's not a mass strategy until it becomes a civil, you know, civil war or whatever, right? That's when it becomes mass. But up until then, you know, being able to um I'm not saying this the way I want to, but I guess what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that right now we've been talking about property damage, yeah. right? 
And the literal human violence that has taken place has largely been at the hands of white nationalists. The FBI has come out with a report, again, because it's not the first time they've come out with the same finding, that white nationalism represents the greatest domestic terror threat to the in the U.S. Not Antifa, not, you know, black anti-racist organizers, you know, mm-hmm. not people who are fighting against police violence or anything like that, but white nationalists. And yet the response has not been uh, adequate or equal. Now, I think that story, that story is not being told. You know, that particular story, I think that our, that, that our organizers, our people need to tell that story, need to focus. We, we, are, we tend to focus on the oppression, but I think we need to, one, follow the money, two, yep. follow the privilege, you yes. feel me? Yep. And three, follow the power. If we can focus on what they're doing, yep. right, what they're doing wrong, where there are inequalities in what they're doing, you know, that's where I think we can begin to change the messaging. Um, on this issue. I wanted just to take a minute to also honor your very, very brilliant wife, Alana Devich Cyril, who passed away two years ago next month, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I was around, Mac, for the recap of your very first date with Alana. And I'm sure that Alana would have some very brilliant insights on this moment in time especially how we be during moments of chaos and crisis. What advice do you think she would offer us for how to take care of our hearts right now? And how have you been taking care of yours? Well, you know, my wife, Alana, is the um, shining light in my life. Um, And... I think she's not only the shining light in my life, but in many people's lives. Mm -hmm. She was a firm believer in life for life's sake. Um, She was a firm believer in pleasure Mm -hmm. and in in the pursuit of joy at all costs. Um, I know this because when she was actively, actively dying at home in hospice, we... um, would sing songs from popular sitcoms, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a- as we try to um, take care of her bodily needs, um, as we try to mitigate her pain, she would say, sing, sing from the Brady Bunch, you know, <laughs> just sing the song from the facts of life, <laughs> you know, and she would sing it too. And at the end, she didn't have much use of most of her body, but she can move the four, her forearms and, and hands so she would just clap, you know, she would just mm-hmm. clap along with the beat. Um, when we had to put her in a, a a device to get her up out of the bed and put her in a chair, she would just clap and sing. She would say, wee! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, and so she, I don't know that she, she wasn't a big advice giver, um, but I think that her her example would have been that in any any circumstance, no matter how dire, no matter how devastating, joy is, is available mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Some kind of freedom is available to us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that she she didn't come to that on her own. That was 
that was very much an alchemy between the two of us mm-hmm. um, because she had a deep melancholy streak as well. Mm-hmm. But but somewhere between the two of us, we were able to to find that freedom. And I think that's what I offer now is that she would bring that example to us all. have any thoughts, Mac, on how we can take care of our hearts right now at a time when everything seems like it's in flux, like everything, our political landscape, how attached we are to technology and how like overlording technology is over our lives. Like how do we persist um, in these moments where everything seems topsy-turvy? I think that's a great question. It's definitely one I ask myself regularly. Um, you know, I think in the context of late stage capitalism, uh, you know, racial capitalism, where the economy is in is in shambles and people of color, our bodies, our our ideas, you know, our labor all being exploited to produce profits for someone else. I think that at a time like this, you know, when the environment is on, you know, we out here in California, our whole, we burning up, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the land is burning, mm-hmm. the temperatures are soaring. I think that we, we must belong to each other. We must mm-hmm. acknowledge and witness how much we are responsible for each other, how much we're connected to each other. You know, every Sunday I, I do a thing with very close people called uh, Pandemic Joy. Mm-hmm. It's not some open, you know, it's not an event for anyone to to join. It's for people that I know and love, you know, to mm-hmm. come together um, to remember that we are part of each other. You know, mm-hmm. we sing, we we testify, we we fellowship, you know. We do what I wish, I hope our movements could do for us, you know, bring us closer together, bring us in greater proximity to our values, to our principles, and to our heart and our feelings, our emotions, you know. Um, so that's that's some of what I think. I, I believe that for me, if I use my body, you know, I, I try to work out with a trainer uh, twice a week. If I take a walk, I go swimming, um, you know, because I believe water can hold us, you know. I go to the ocean because I believe that the ocean is is vast and, and can hold everything we offer to her. Um, th- this is what I this is what I believe, mm-hmm. and th- this is how I hold my heart. You know, which you know, like many people, has been you know devastated. You know, not only by by what's happened, but my wife was diagnosed with cancer in 2016, mm-hmm. just days after Donald Trump was elected to the presidency of the United States. And so this whole journey through cancer to her death and its aftermath has been a journey in the most politically unstable period of of, of U.S. history in my lifetime, you know, in my lifetime. Uh, So I think the other thing I would say is, look, you know, Uncertainty is actually the natural state of things. Mm. You know, we are convinced and distracted 
by capitalism to believe that that some things are certain, you know? Mm-hmm. We're pushed to towards, you know, trying to uh, escape death <laughs> while at the same time being pushed closer and closer to it. And and this this experience of life, these this lens that that capitalism puts over our eyes to make us believe that uncertainty is uh only an experience for the weak or only an experience for you know what I mean? For for the few, um, when I think when we start to understand that uncertainty is is the nature of things that change, is the nature of things, we can become more um, comfortable in those in between spaces. We can actually begin to see uncertainty as an opportunity, because what it tells us is that just as all the good things we wish would stay may change, we also get to learn that the bad things that we wish would go, they also will change, mm, you know? I'll and see. so that's the opportunity, and that's how I, how I take care of me, mm. by focusing on that. Like, literally, I was just watching you talk, Matt, because y'all don't get to see this, but we on video. And in my mind, I was like, oh, the image that I just had was of you as like a modern day Audre Lorde who would be (laughs) writing a different version of the cancer journals. Like, Mm. from a caregiver's perspective about what it is that you learn about life from somebody who is losing theirs but also so full of it at the same time and how it is to be in relationship to that and what you learn about yourself and you just taught me a whole grip of things in like the last five minutes that I now need to go like sit Mm. by myself and marinate on And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week. Number one, armed white militias at protests. So this week, we saw armed white militias organize a counter-protest in Louisville, Kentucky, in response to protests calling for accountability for the police officers who murdered Breonna Taylor. I'm not even sure what to say about this anymore except that so much of what is driving these militias are racist narratives and conspiracy theories that say that Black people are coming to get you. Let me just ask this question. I mean, what would we be coming to get you for? If after 400 years of enslavement, oppression, and attempted genocide, Black people have not yet come to kill you in your sleep, I feel pretty confident in saying that it ain't gonna happen now. File this under white people doing the most and doing the least all at the same time. Black people are not trying to kill you. We're actually just trying to live. And that's a fact. Number two, things that lady just ain't going to do this week. Climate change. So I'm reporting here live from California, where we are literally in the midst of the apocalypse. Lady hears that sometimes just being outside these days especially if you're in the wildfire zones, is equivalent to smoking 20 packs of cigarettes. Ugh, 
These are not natural disasters. California has always had a fire season. But did you know that nearly 97% of the funding for California's land management comes from the federal government? Did you also know that Trump has been holding funding for land management hostage because he feels like people in California don't really fuck with him? And so his petty ass has instructed his people to withhold that money? The ways in which your president's petty ways impacts everyday people, and I mean children, families, the environment, it's just awful. So again, dump Trump. You got 40-something days to handle your business. If you haven't yet made a plan to vote in this election, do it, please, and do it now. If you need some help making a plan, visit the Black Futures Lab's Electoral Action Center to register to vote, to find out if you're registered to vote, and to find out your rights with respect to voting. Also, find out who represents you, from City Hall all the way to Congress, and learn about whether or not they're a champion for the things and the people that you care about. Once again, you can do that at the Electoral Action Center from the Black Futures Lab. And we'll post things all over our socials so that you can get right to it. Next thing that's just getting on ladies' nerves this week, production services in the time of the pandemic. Look, I know people might feel a way about this, but I am noticing that there is a new business cropping up where you can literally pay people to do events for you online. Okay, that's great. I mean, there's whole ass television shows being filmed on Zoom, so why not? But I will tell you, I'm just coming off of an experience where a company that I was filming something for literally took 45 minutes of my time trying to teach me how to set up a camera with a Windows laptop and a Zoom, and then wanted 45 more minutes of my time to read a script. A script, y'all. Needless to say, I had a complete meltdown after about hour two of this nonsense. So here's the moral of the story. Stop this unnecessary nonsense. I am here doing a quality podcast with literally two turntables and a microphone. I'm pretty sure your online event can do the same. File this one under. You got me fucked up. All right. So enough complaining. Here's what we want more of this week. Lady loves Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight in a versus battle that really was not like a versus battle. It was basically the gathering of aunties. This one had me crying, laughing, clapping, and singing. I'm going to go ahead and do myself a favor and watch the whole thing again. Because truth be told, for part of the time I was on an airplane and I really couldn't get that good signal. But what I did catch was priceless. Lady loves her aunties, the beautiful memories that this music brought me. Back to the time when we had headphones with the foam covers and Walkmans and cassette tapes. Thank you especially to my mama for introducing me to these queens. And thank you to the queens for blessing us with such talent. This is music that memories are made of. Next thing I love this week is Lovecraft Country. So look, I will be honest, I've been telling y'all how much I love this show, and last week's episode, it actually just kind of hurt me a little bit. I just couldn't fully get into the True Blood mystic nature of the episode, and so frankly I wasn't totally sure what the deal was with killing the trans-indigenous person. I mean, I was kind of like, wait, what are we doing here? Why is this happening? However, this week's episode, let me tell you, I'm back on the train and I'm in love. 
Let me also give a special shout out to Cheryl Dunyer because fam, you did that thing. It really does make a difference to see images of all of us on screen with robust and nuanced storylines. I just cannot get enough of this show. And if y'all aren't tuned in, listen, what are you waiting for? Next thing that Lady loves this week, and yes, I will do some shameless promotion, is starred book reviews. So y'all writers have this thing going on where I guess there's some pre-reviews that happen prior to your book being released. Well, I guess your girl is joining the ranks of writers because I just got three reviews this week from Kirkus, Bookshop, and Publishers Weekly. And apparently they think my book is worth reading, although obvi, I could have told you that. I just want to also note that those were starred reviews. Yes, yes, that's correct. They were starred. Yes, 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 yes. Don't forget to pre-order the book. It's called The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart. It's available on pre-order everywhere you get your books. And of course, try to buy it from an independent bookseller. Okay, so Mac, deep, deep, deep gratitude for you making time to show up on the pod today. Can you let people know to the degree that you want to now, because not everybody want to be on the socials. When Dream was on the pod, Dream was like, you know, you can catch me in the wind. Like She wasn't trying to, she wasn't trying to give up right, her socials. Right. But Deep in the sound of music. You know, like how do people connect to you in a way that you would want to on the socials? I say the best way to um, uh, link with me is on Twitter. Um, I'm at Culture Jedi on Twitter and love to see you there. You know, all my other socials is really for the fam, you know, specifically. Facts. You know what I mean? Some people like to have their pictures out there. I don't. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And I'm learning the hard way, child. Learning right. the hard way. <laughs> right, right. I feel it. I feel it. Oh, we so appreciate you. Thank you for being oh, no. here. I love you. Thank you. I love you, too. Yes. Yeah. All right, now. y'all that is it for lady don't take no but i'll be back here every single friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute we appreciate you joining us and of course let's keep the conversation going tell us what's on your mind tell us what you like and tell us what you just ain't gonna take no more of on twitter we're at lady take on insta we're at lady don't take no pod we're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear about on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirix. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, climate change ain't no joke, but it's also on the ballot, so don't forget to vote. Lovecraft Country is giving us nuance and layers that you cannot miss. 
And finally, shout out to the aunties who make everything just a little bit sweeter. That's right. I said it because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so serious. People stare curious. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furious. Love y'all.